So tonight we will actually start in Second Nephi 20, you know, the very last part where we finished up last time. Because that leads into Second Nephi 21 and Isaiah 11, starting in verse 32. This same day he shall but pause at Nob and, this, and signal the advance against the mountain of the daughter of Zion, the hill of Jerusalem. So, you know, the day being spoken of, the king of Assyria, king of Babylon, will attempt to come against the elect people of God, you know, the Zion-Jerusalem class. Verse 33, Then will my Lord Jehovah of hosts shatter the towering trees with terrifying power. The high-end stature shall be hewn down, the lofty ones leveled. The dense forests shall be battered down with the force of iron, and Lebanon fall spectacularly. So, you know, Lebanon in Isaiah's terms was used to denote Jerusalem. So, the king of Assyria, king of Babylon, will come against the whole world, and it will come against those places where God's covenant people who have ascended to the level of elect, he shall come against where they shall dwell. And hewing down the trees is hewing down people. Isaiah 11, verse 1, which is 2 Nephi 21, verse 1. A shoot will spring up from the stalk of Jesse, and a branch from its graft bear fruit. Now, verse 1 is talking about both a people and an individual. The people that are being talked about are the Lord's covenant people during the time directly before his second coming, who will be gathered together by the Lord's end-time servant, Joseph Smith, Jr. The new and everlasting covenant of a broken heart and contrite spirit, the path of ascension, where God's covenant people might enter into covenant with him and take upon themselves the name of Jesus Christ, and offer up their broken hearts and contrite spirits that they might receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, and proceed from there to seek the revelation about how to enter into his presence, which presence is the fullness of his glory. It's the opening of a new dispensation when the Lord's end-time servant is again uh, ordained and endowed with priesthood authority. And we have the ushering in of the dispensation of the fullness of times. Which again, when Joseph Smith came during his first ministry, we had the ushering in, as it says in DNC 110, the dispensation of the gospel of Abraham or the preparatory gospel. This time, during the end time servant's second ministry, we'll have the ushering in of the dispensation of the fullness of times. And this time, God's people will bear fruit. And bearing fruit is entering into the new covenant and receiving the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, and becoming Christ's sons and his daughters. Verse 2, the spirit of Jehovah will rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and valor, the spirit of knowledge 
and the fear of Jehovah. So Isaiah 48 and 49 tell us that there are uh, several ways that the Lord's people will recognize the end time servant when he returns. And the first is that he will speak by the power and authority of the Holy Ghost. Now, as a cross-reference, let's turn to Isaiah 42.1. And in Isaiah 42.1, Isaiah says, My servant whom I sustain, and this is the Lord speaking, My chosen one in whom I delight, him I have endowed with my spirit. He will dispense justice to the nations. And also Isaiah 61 verse 1. The spirit of my Lord Jehovah is upon me. For Jehovah has anointed me to announce good tidings to the lowly. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the eyes to the bound. So, you know, additional witnesses that the Lord's end time servant will speak by the power and authority of the Holy Ghost, and that that is the primary way that God's people are to recognize him. But also in Isaiah 48 and 49, it says that he will declare that prophecies that he has already made, i.e. during his first ministry, and that have been recorded in scripture have now been fulfilled. And that scripture is the doctrine and covenants. And also that he will bring forth new doctrine and will reveal revelation of a higher order than has ever been revealed um, you know, to the church of Christ since the foundation of the world. And so, you know, when we read in verse two, again, the spirit of Jehovah will rest upon him. And in that day, God's people better be able to recognize a true prophet from a false one, a true prophet being one who speaks by the power and authority of the Holy Ghost, a false prophet being one who does not, instead, uh, speaking by their own words and their own imagination. In 2 Nephi 28, um, verses 26 and 31, uh, cross-referencing you know, this concept, uh, Nephi is speaking directly to the Latter-day Saints in our day. And he says, Woe be unto him that hearkeneth unto the precepts of men, and denieth the power of God and the gift of the Holy Ghost. And then in verse 31, Cursed is he that putteth his trust in man, or maketh flesh his arm, or shall hearken unto the precepts of men, save their precepts shall be given by the power of the Holy Ghost. So all of those who trust in false prophets, because they speak not by the power authority of the Holy Ghost, are putting their trust in man, making flesh their arm, and hearkening unto the precepts of men. This will not be the case with God's covenant people, because they will have taken the Holy Spirit as their guide. Therefore, they will recognize the end-time servant as he speaks by the power and authority of the Holy Ghost. And continuing, he will have the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and valor, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of Jehovah, His intuition will be guided by the fear of Jehovah. He will not judge by what his eyes see, nor establish proof by what his ears hear. Now, I'd cross-reference this with Ammon as he spoke before 
King Lamoni, having sought uh, mightily after the gift of prophecy and revelation. Thus he could discern the thoughts and intents of the king and tailor his message for maximum effectiveness as a result. He will not judge by what his eyes see, nor establish proof by what his ears hear. Uh, he will be able to discern the, the truth and error, not only among men, but among people and events. Verse 4, he will judge the poor with righteousness and with equity arbitrate for the lowly in the land. Now, Isaiah establishes that the poor and the lowly are metaphors for God's covenant people. They are the ones who have offered up in sacrifice a broken heart and a contrite spirit and have submitted their wills to God's will and are receiving God's will by revelation and then are fulfilling uh, the revelation that they are receiving uh, or in other words, they are exercising faith unto salvation. He will judge the poor with righteousness and, you know, again, um, in this sense, uh, you know, the he can refer both to the Lord's end time servant and to the Lord himself. And righteousness being a metaphor for the Lord's end time servant. And with equity, arbitrate for the lowly in the land. He will smite the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips slay the wicked. So the end of verse four. We have some dualism. The, the rod of his mouth and the breath of his lips can refer both to the king of Assyria, king of Babylon, which is being used by the Lord to destroy um, the wicked inhabitants of the earth. But also, the Lord's end time servant is also the Lord's rod and mouth and breath and lips and is used... <laughs> as, you know, the, the Lord's instrument in protecting the Lord's covenant people and destroying those uh, entities who would rise up to destroy the Lord's end-time people. Verse 5, righteousness will be as a band about his waist, faithfulness, a girdle round his loins. You know, again, we have two metaphors, righteousness and faithfulness that apply both to the Lord himself and the Lord's end-time servant. That Lord's end-time servant will be uh, clothed with the power and authority of God. Verse 6, then shall the wolf dwell among the lambs, the leopard lie down with the young goats, calves and young lions will feed together, and a youngster will lead them to pasture. So Isaiah is constantly um, going forward and backward. And, you know, after the Lord's end time servant righteousness and faithfulness has led out to safety and established Zion and New Jerusalem. Um, and Christ comes in his glory. Then we have both in Isaiah's metaphors, the clean and the unclean, uh, both uh, pure-blood Israel and Gentiles, you know, all who have entered into covenant with God, 
who have offered up the broken heart and contrite spirit and have taken upon them Christ's name, dwelling together in peace and righteousness. Verse 7, when a cow and bear browse, their young will rest together. The lion will eat straw like the ox. A suckling, a suckling infant will play near the adder's den. The toddlers reach his hand over the viper's nest. Now, at the end of verse 6, when it says, a youngster will lead them to pasture, as we covered last time in Isaiah 9 and 10. This youngster uh, who is born, you know, a wonderful counselor, uh, you know, a mighty ruler. This has reference uh, historically to King Hezekiah, uh, who reversed the circumstances of a long line of wicked kings. And in an end-time scenario, it has reference to the Lord's end-time servant, Joseph Smith, Jr. And it's Joseph Smith, Jr. who will lead out Israel from the four quarters of the earth unto Zion. Verse 9, there shall be no harm or injury done throughout my holy mountain, for the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of Jehovah as the oceans are overspread with waters. So again, the Lord's end time servant will put down the king of Assyria, king of Babylon, who has wrought his work of destruction over the whole earth. And because the Lord's end time servant will have had the patriarchal order of the Melchizedek priesthood, talked about in DNC 76, sealed upon him, whereby he becomes a king and a priest under the Most High God, and has the power to command the elements, to quench the violence of fires, to defy the armies of nations, to move rivers out of their courses and mountains. Um, the king of Assyria, king of Babylon, will not be able to prevail against him. And the, the powers of chaos, the metaphors for the king of Assyria, king of Babylon, you know, the oceans and waters, uh, the Lord's end time servant is able to um, subdue the king of Assyria, king of Babylon, and his work of destruction as it applies to the Lord's people. Verse 10, in that day, the sprig of Jesse, who stands for an ensign to the people, shall be brought by the nations, and his rest shall be glorious. Again, we have reference back to verse 1, where um, we're introducing the Lord's end-time servant, the return of Joseph Smith. And he stands as an ensign to the people. Well, how does he stand as an ensign to the people? Well, through the restoration of the doctrine of Christ. Uh, knowledge is again had upon the earth about how to repent and return, how to enter into the new and everlasting covenant. In fact, what the new and everlasting covenant is, even is, that those who have ears to hear, hearts to understand, and eyes to see, those who are the humble followers of Christ might be sufficiently instructed about what God would have them do, that they might repent and return and become his people. And Joseph Smith will not only be, uh, you know, restoring the terrestrial order of the gospel, the church of Christ, um, and bringing new scripture with him, you know, but 
all those who will be end-time servants with him. He will direct them in the missionary efforts that will take the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the people of all the world, beginning at the gathering out of the strength of the Lord's house among members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and then continuing the taking the fullness of the gospel to all of the peoples of the whole earth who qualify for deliverance from destruction from the hand of the king of Assyria, king of Babylon. Verse 11, in that day, my Lord will again raise his hand to reclaim the remnant of his people. Okay, a hand is again a metaphor for the Lord's end time servant. And the Lord makes it very clear that, you know, Joseph Smith and his return, his ministry isn't just to the Latter-day Saints. It's not just to restore the fullness of the gospel to Latter-day Saints, but it is to take the fullness of the gospel to the ends of the earth and gather out Israel from the four quarters of the earth. Those who shall be left out of Assyria, Egypt, Pathos, Cush, Elam, Shimnar, Hamath, and the islands of the sea. Again, we have this idea that the Lord's people are scattered throughout the entire earth, and there is going to have to be a global gathering to be headed up by the Lord's end-time servant. He will raise the ensign to the nations and assemble the exiled of Israel. He will gather the scattered of Judah from the four directions of the earth. Ephraim's jealousy shall pass away, and the hostile ones of Judah be cut off. Or, in other words, those among the Lord's covenant people who will not enter into covenant, the covenant that he extends to them will be cut off from among his covenant people. And this begins with the separation of the wheat and the tares from among the Latter-day Saints and the leading out of the wheat on that end-time exodus. Verse 14. But they will swoop on the Philistines' flank toward the west, and together plunder those to the east. They will take Edom and Moab at hand's reach, and the Ammonites will obey them. Now, let's cross-reference DNC 101, verse 55. And verse 55 is also talking about the commission and return of the Lord's end-time servant, and how he amasses, you know, his initial forces that will um, take the fullness of the gospel to the ends of the earth and go against the Lord's enemies. And in verse 55, the Lord of the vineyard said unto one of his servants, and DNC 103 uh, specifies that this end-time servant is Joseph Smith, Jr., Go and gather together the residue of my servants and take all the strength of my house, which are my warriors, my young men, they that are of middle age. Also among all my servants who are the strength of mine house, save those only whom I have appointed to tarry. And go ye straightway unto the land of my vineyard and redeem my vineyard for it is mine. I have bought it with money. Therefore get ye straightway unto my land, break down the walls of mine enemies, throw down their tower and scatter their watchmen. And inasmuch as they gather together against you, avenge me of mine enemies, that by and by I may come with the residue of my house and possess the land. So although Jesus Christ and Joseph Smith in their first ministry came as lambs, in their second ministry they come 
as warriors and as lions. Now, going back to Isaiah chapter 11, verse 14. And again, this characterizes um, this mode of coming back as lions and warriors. But they will swoop on the Philistine flank toward the west and together plunder those to the east. They will take Edom and Moab at hand's reach, and the Ammonites will obey them. Verse 15, Jehovah will dry up the tongue of the Egyptian sea. By his mighty wind, he will extend his hand over the river and smite it into seven streams to provide a way on foot. Now, the tongue in this verse and uh, the sea refers to the king of Assyria, king of Babylon. And by this time, you know, the, the king of Assyria has taken over Egypt. And Isaiah uses historical precedent as anti-metaphor, but there is no single historical precedent to fulfill all of the roles that are required um, by those who will be playing parts in the end times. So he uses conglomerates. And so one of the conglomerates that he uses for America uh, is Egypt. And so, you know, by the time that the Lord's end time servant begins his work, uh, the king of Assyria, king of Babylon, has completely taken over America. Jehovah will dry up the tongue of the Egyptian sea. And, you know, it didn't just happen at the time of the coming forth of the end time servant, because the Lord's end time servant is going to put down the king of Assyria, king of Babylon. It happened sometime prior. And again, extending his hand, you know, the Lord's hand is both the king of Assyria, king of Babylon. And in this instance, the Lord's hand is a Lord's end time servant. And he's extending his hand over or his power over the river, which is the king of Babylon, king of Assyria. And this is talking specifically about Joseph Smith exerting power uh, as he leads the end time exodus and protecting those on the end time exodus from destruction from the king of Babylon, king of Assyria. And smite it into seven streams to provide a way on foot. Or the power of the Lord as exhibited in the Lord's end time servant will make the end time exodus possible. And the gathering out of uh, the Lord's people wherever they might be. Even though on first appearance it would seem an impossibility. Because... Uh, the actions of the king of Assyria, king of Babylon, uh, are so far-reaching that without divine intervention, it would be impossible. And we also have the idea here that um, there is no place that will be safe from the bondage and tyranny that the king of Assyria, king of Babylon, will exert over all of the United States and all of the world. But in the midst of that tyranny 
which will exert to every uh, you know square inch of the land. Yet through the Lord's end time servant, you know he will make a path of escape. Verse sixteen, and there shall be a pathway out of Assyria for the remnant of his people who shall be left, as there was for Israel when it came up from the land of Egypt. So again, the Lord's people, you know, are Jacob, Israel, and those who receive the covenant, which God extends to them, become the level of, you know, semi-precious metals and semi-precious stones and Zion, Jerusalem. Now, in 2 Nephi 22, which is Isaiah 12, we have, we have a song. And, you know, the song that is sung is the song of joy of those who have entered into covenant with their God and have been delivered from the hand of bondage. And they're singing because of the juxtaposition of the bondage that they were once under versus the freedom that they now enjoy. And in verse 1, it says, In that day you will say, I praise you, O Jehovah. Although you have been angry with me, your anger is turned away, and you have consoled me. So, you know, the Lord's people have come into bondage for a season. And as a cross-reference, D&C 103, starting in verse 1, the Lord is literally talking to his end-time servants, who return with Joseph Smith for a second ministry with him. And the Lord is giving them instruction about how they are to act in what the Lord says is the discharge of their duties. Um, And even though they did not prove themselves, and, you know, this doesn't apply to Joseph Smith, but it does apply to most of the other uh, servants who also return even though they did not fulfill um, their full responsibility during their first ministry, yet they have become prodigal sons. They have repented and returned and have come again to shoulder the full weight of the responsibility that the Lord is willing to place upon their shoulders and to be the men and women that God always intended them to be. Verily I say unto you, my friends, behold, I will give into your revelation and a commandment that you may know how to act in the discharge of your duties concerning the salvation and redemption of your brethren who have been scattered on the land of Zion. And why have they been scattered? Because we rejected the fullness of the gospel that was offered to us during the time of the restoration under Joseph Smith. You know, as recorded in DNC 84, instead of offering up a broken heart and contrite spirit, and receiving the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, we harden our hearts. But the Lord hasn't cast us off forever. Those who repent and return will yet be gathered. Verse 2, being driven and smitten by the hands of mine enemies, on whom I will pour out my wrath without measure in mine own time. For I have suffered them thus far that they might fill up the measure of their iniquities, that their cup might be full, and that those who call themselves after my name might be chastened for a little season with a sore and grievous chastisement, because they did not hearken altogether unto the precepts and commandments which I gave unto them. 
But verily I say unto you that I have decreed a decree which my people shall realize insomuch as they hearken from this very hour unto the counsel which I, the Lord their God, shall give unto them. Behold, they shall, for I have decreed it, begin to prevail against mine enemies from this very hour. And by hearkening to observe all the words which I, the Lord their God, shall speak unto them, again, in stark contrast to the first time when they would not. But if they will the second time, They shall never cease to prevail until the kingdoms of the world are subdued under my feet and the earth is given unto the saints to possess it forever and ever. But the warning is, but inasmuch as they keep not my commandments and hearken not to observe all my words, the kingdoms of the world shall prevail against them. Now, continuing in 2 Nephi 22, Isaiah 12. Again in verse 1. In that day, you will say, I praised you of Jehovah. Although you have been angry with me, your anger is turned away and you have consoled me. And that is because this class of people who has been gathered out and delivered are of the type who are prodigal sons. They didn't do everything that they should have done the first time, but have been given another chance. And this time uh, are proving themselves true and faithful to their Lord and God. Verse 2, In the God of my salvation, I will trust without fear. For Jehovah was my strength and my song. And when he became my salvation, then shall you rejoice in drawing water from the fountains of salvation. In that day, you will say, Give thanks to Jehovah. Invoke his name. Make known his deeds among the nations. Commemorate his exalted name. Sing in praise of Jehovah, who has performed wonders. Let it be acknowledged throughout the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitants of Zion. For renowned among you is the Holy One of Israel. And, you know, going back to DNC 103, talking about this end time exodus. Verse 19. Therefore, let not your hearts faint. For I say not unto you as I said unto your fathers. My angel shall go up before you, but not my presence. Talking specifically um, in two different layers. First layer is about the children of Israel under Moses. Because they rejected the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And rejected the covenant whereby they might become Christ's sons and his daughters. They were demoted to the preparatory gospel. And so they did not qualify for the presence of Jesus Christ as the Nephites did who survived the destructions in 3 Nephi chapter 11, and as Christ's apostles did uh, after his resurrection. Verse 20, But I say unto you, mine angel shall go up before you, and also my presence, and in time ye shall possess the goodly land. So the people who are called out on this end time exodus are at the level of Zion, Jerusalem, meaning that they qualify for the presence of the Lord, um, not in the fullness of his glory at this point, but to come down among them on the end time exodus, just like he did with the Nephites in third Nephi chapter 11. And just like he did with his apostles after his resurrection, which means those who do not qualify at the same level that the Nephites qualified at who, dis- who survived the destructions will not make it on the end time exodus. And this is the level 
of Zion, Jerusalem, those of his covenant people who are willing to enter into covenant with him and not only be willing to take upon him, them, his name, but also do what is required that he might actually extend his name to them, that they might become his sons and his daughters. Now, in 2 Nephi 23, which is Isaiah 13, verse 1, an oracle concerning Babylon, which Isaiah the son of Amos saw in vision, raised the ensign on a barren mountain. Now this time, the ensign that the Lord is talking about through Isaiah is not the Lord's end time servant, but the king of Assyria, king of Babylon. He is also an ensign to the nations, an ensign of destruction. Sound the voice among them. Okay, so again, we have reference to the metaphor of voice, which was used in Isaiah chapter 12, which would be put down by the Lord's end time servant. Um, This is before his voice has been put down by the Lord's end time servant. Beckon them with the hand to advance into the precincts of the elite. So again, you know, the hand here is not the Lord's end time servant, but the king of Assyria, king of Babylon. And at that day, um, the king of Babylon, king of Assyria, has entered into alliances with the elite ones of the earth. And the elite ones of the earth think that this alliance with the king of Assyria, king of Babylon, is going to save them. But they are going to be disappointed because they will be double-crossed and they will be destroyed. Verse 3, I have charged my holy ones, called out my valiant ones. My anger is not upon those who take pride in me. Or in other words, other, even though this will be a global destruction, yet the Lord will protect his covenant people. And the work of destruction will not take place among the Lord's covenant people to wipe them out as it will um, virtually all of the peoples of the earth. And again, at the end of verse 3, anger is a metaphor for the king of Assyria, king of Babylon. My anger is not upon those who take pride in me or who are willing to offer up a sacrifice of a broken heart and contrite spirit. Verse 4, hark, a tumult on the mountains as of a vast multitude. Hark, an uproar among kingdoms as of nations assembling. Jehovah of hosts is marshalling an army for war. You know, there are two armies that are marshaled by the Lord. You know, one is led by the king of Assyria, king of Babylon, who is the staff of the Lord's left hand, whose leader is the adversary. And the other uh, army that is marshaled is led by the Lord's end time servant, whose head is Jesus Christ himself. The end of verse five, to cause destruction throughout the earth. Now, the one who causes destruction throughout the earth is the king of Assyria, king of Babylon. Um, and it's the Lord's end time servant who you know, protects his people and causes destruction among the enemies of the Lord as they come against God's people. 
verse 6. Lament for the day of Jehovah is near. It shall come as a violent blow from the Almighty. Then shall every hand grow weak, and the hearts of all men melt. They shall be terrified in throes of agony, seized with trembling like a woman in labor. Men will look at one another aghast, their faces set aflame. The day of Jehovah shall come as a cruel outburst of anger and wrath to make the earth a desolation, that sinners may be annihilated from it. The stars and constellations of the heavens will not shine. When the sun rises, it shall be obscured, nor will the moon give its light. I have decreed calamity for the world, punishment for the wicked. I will put an end to the arrogance of insolent men and humble the pride of tyrants. I will make mankind scarcer than fine gold, men more rare than gold of Ophir. I will cause disturbances in the heavens when the earth is jolted out of place by the anger of Jehovah of hosts in the day of blazing wrath. So, um, in Isaiah chapter 3, you know, we have the prophecy of that great war which will destroy most of the men of the world. And, you know, I have certainly been shown in times that will yet come upon us that very few men will be left. Verse 12, I will make mankind scarcer than fine gold, men more rare than gold of Ophir. And mankind refers both to uh, men and women and children. And there will be a general destruction, both among men and women and children, but the destruction will be greater among men. And Isaiah is trying to do justice to the destruction that he saw, a destruction that rivals any other destruction that uh, has been known upon the earth since the days of the flood of Noah, when um, most of the inhabitants of the earth were destroyed also. Verse 14, Then, like a deer that is chased, or a flock of sheep that no one rounds up, each will return to his own people, and everyone flee to his homeland. So, this is talking about an intermediary level of people. Those who don't qualify for immediate destruction, but those who do not qualify to be led out on the end time exodus. Uh, I would liken this strata of people to the people of King Limhi. For when the Lord sent Abinadi to gather out the elect or the Zion Jerusalem level among the people of the city of Noah, he goes in the first time and he discovers that there aren't any elect who qualify for deliverance from bondage. Then he's commanded to go back to the city of Noah again and gather out the next uh, spiritual level down in Jacob, Israel. Well, there's only one, and that is Alma. And he leaves and as he repents and returns and receives power in the priesthood, he is commanded to go back and gather out the next strata down in Jacob, Israel, in Isaiah's terms. And, you know, we have three to four hundred going to the waters of Mormon and being baptized by Alma. 
But because they're not yet at the level of elect, um, they go into a period of bondage. Uh, They are delivered from the armies of King Noah, but they go into bondage by the Lamanites. Um, But the Lord does make their burdens easy and light. And, you know, this facilitates a more rapid repentance and ascension than if they had not gone into bondage. And as soon as they ascend to the level of elect, um, the Lord delivers them from out of bondage of the Lamanites. Um, well, what about the people who remain? The, the remainder of King Noah's people, which become the people of King Limhi. Well, three-fourths of them do not qualify for deliverance from destruction. So through a series of wars with the Lamanites, about three-quarters of them are destroyed. But the quarter who survive, who do qualify for deliverance from destruction but not for deliverance from extreme bondage. They are as these people. Um, In verse 14, it says, Then like a deer that is chased, or a flock of sheep that no one rounds up, each will return to his own people, and everyone flee to his homeland. Um, They will have to go through the full weight and fury of the king of Assyria, king of Babylon. They will be delivered for a time from destruction to allow them the chance to repent and return and either ascend and join the uh, exodus or be led out or go down to destruction. Verse 15, whoever whoever is found shall be thrust through. All who are caught shall fall by the sword. Again, we have this imagery of the destruction of the king of Assyria, king of Babylon, which Isaiah is trying to paint justice through his words to describe the the extent and the terror and the horror, and that it's quite unlike anything that you know we, you know, since the flood have ever seen. Whoever is found shall be thrust through. All who are caught shall fall by the sword. Their infants shall be dashed in pieces before their eyes. Their homes plundered, their wives ravished. See, I stir up against them the Medes, who do not value silver nor covet gold. So, you know, these are those who have entered into alliance with the king of Assyria, king of Babylon, who will be assisting the king of Assyria, king of Babylon, in his work of destruction. You know, one possible interpretation is, you know, that the king of Assyria, king of Babylon is, you know, that that uh, entity of the last days who amasses to itself all political, economic, and military power, becomes a staff in the Lord's left hand to destroy the world, you know, or the head of, you know, that great conspiracy, the New World Order, um, and... You know, its servants, you know, you could, you know, perhaps liken unto the invading forces of China and Russia that will one day invade the lands of the U.S. And, you know, they will not have compassion. They will not spare. And any who they find, you know, shall be destroyed. You know, even though we see the work of the king of Assyria, king of Babylon, marching forth, 
with precisely what the governor of Utah, you know, just, you know, put forth the, the new mandate and lockdown edicts, you know, and these will, these are mild right now, but will continue to become more and more and more oppressive. And we will soon see it in the United States, like it is in New Zealand and Australia, where they're under strict house arrest. They're only allowed to go a certain distance from their homes. They have to receive permission to be able to leave their homes. Um, they are only able to go, you know, once a week to a grocery store. And, you know, then, you know, in the times that are coming, you know, that will be us. But there will also be the mandate for um, the vaccine and, you know, other tyrannies. And like there, you have um, SWAT teams coming and breaking down doors and carrying off, you know, individuals who they assert, uh, you know, have been infected to quarantine, quarantine centers um, or who publicly criticize uh, the pandemic or mask wearing. Uh, that will be coming here. And, you know, the, this is the design and the plans of the king of Assyria. And, you know, again, you know, the Medes are those who will be, you know, assisting uh, the king of Assyria, king of Babylon, in that work of destruction. Even if one has ascended the level of silver or gold, if one stops hearkening unto the voice of the Spirit, one will not make it. Verse 18, their bows shall tear apart the young. They will show no mercy to the newborn. Their eye will not look with compassion on children. And Babylon, the most splendid of kingdoms, the glory and the pride of the Chaldeans shall be thrown down as God overthrows Sodom and Gomorrah. So the Chaldeans are the people of Babylon. Never shall it be re-inhabited. It shall not be resettled through all the generations. Nobads will not pitch their tents there, nor will shepherds rest their flocks in it. But wild animals will infest it. And its buildings overflow with weasels. Now here we have, uh, you know, beasts representing people, or that there will be lawlessness and, uh, you know, destruction by um, rioting and warring and pillaging individuals who care not for law nor liberty nor goodness, nor virtue, but, you know, simply to pillage and plunder and destroy. But wild animals will infest it, and its buildings overflow with weasels. Birds of prey will find lodging there, and demonic creatures will prance about in it. Jackals will cry out from its palaces, howling creatures from its amusement halls. Her time draws near, Babylon's days shall not be prolonged. Now, Isaiah 14, which is 2 Nephi 24. I, Jehovah, or Jehovah, will have compassion on Jacob and once again choose Israel. So again, this has reference to those who did not initially ascend to the Zion Jerusalem level and were not initially 
led out on the end time exodus, but did qualify for deliverance from destruction and are as the 25% of King Limhi's people who qualified for deliverance from destruction, but came into a very extreme bondage under Lamanites and the Lord did not make their burdens easy and light, but it did facilitate their repentance and their ascension as the destruction and the terror of the king of Babylon, king of Assyria, and the destruction of the Medes, those who work with him, will work upon the entire earth. But there will be a subsect of people in the Zion, in the uh, Jacob Israel category, who through all of those destructions and persecutions and hardships will repent and return to a Zion Jerusalem level. Jehovah will have compassion on Jacob and once again choose Israel. He will settle them in their own land and proselytes will adhere to them and join the house of Jacob. So during the end time exodus, those who do qualify to go out on it, those who are at the level of Zion, Jerusalem, um, they will be going out on missions, taking the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ to all of those who qualify for deliverance from destruction. And even after New Jerusalem is established, uh, when the end time exodus meets up with um, Enoch and his city and establishing New Jerusalem, the missionary efforts will continue to gather out Israel and bring the fullness of the gospel to all those who will receive it. And so Isaiah is talking about you know, that level of Jacob, Israel, who are like King uh, Limhi's people, who do survive the destructions, who do come into extreme bondage, but who eventually receive the fullness of the gospel, ascend to the level of elect and are delivered. Verse 2, the nations will take them and bring them to their own place. And the house of Israel will possess them as men servants and maidservants in the land of Jehovah. So again, we have the talking about, we have many different strata or ascension levels of individuals who are escaping the destruction. Um, but the degree of bondage, which they are subjected to, is at various levels, depending uh, on the exact degree that they're willing to offer up their broken heart and contrite spirit. And there are a thousand different levels of that. And each person will qualify for exactly the level to which they are willing to enter into the new covenant of the sacrifice of a broken heart and contrite spirit. And the house of Israel will possess them as men servants and maidservants in the land of Jehovah. And they will take captive their captors and rule over their oppressors. So we have a reversal of circumstances. So as those who come into severe bondage, repent and return, and ascend and become elect, they will be empowered by God to turn the tables over their captors. And they will be delivered, and they will bring their captors into bondage. Verse 3, In the day Jehovah gives you relief from grief and anguish, and from the arduous servitude imposed on you. So again, we have the deliverance of, you know, the people on the King Limhi level. Verse four, you will take up this 
taunt against the king of Babylon and say, how the tyrant has met his end and tyranny ceased. So here we have the concept that the day of deliverance for many of these individuals isn't going to be really quick. Uh, they're going to have to suffer um, the, the wrath of the king of Assyria, king of Babylon, for an extended period of time. In fact, right up to the time that he is put down by the Lord's end time servant. But finally, by that time, basically when the time is up, they have finally repented and returned. And now they are mocking the fall of the king of Assyria, king of Babylon, who will be put down by the Lord's end time servant. Jehovah has broken the staff of the wicked. You know, again, king of Assyria, king of Babylon, the rod of those who ruled. Him who with unerring blows struck down the nations in anger. Anger being a metaphor for the king of Assyria, king of Babylon, who subdued the peoples in his wrath. Wrath, another term for anger, by relentless or relentless oppression. Now the whole earth is at rest and at peace. There is jubilant celebration. The pine trees too rejoice over you, as do the cedars of Lebanon. Since you have been laid low, no hewer has risen against them. Now, remember that trees represent people. So, and the cedars of Lebanon were felled to the ground by the king of Assyria, king of Babylon. And yet new shoots have grown up. And now they witness against he who did the hewing or the cutting down. So, you know, they were among those who were cut down, just like the people of King Limhi the 25% who survived the, the wars with the Lamanites. And now they're, they're marveling that he who did the hewing has now been hewed down. Verse 9, Sheol below was in commotion because of you, anticipating your arrival. On your account, it razed, roused all the spirits of the world leaders, causing all who had ruled nations to rise up from their thrones. All alike were moved to say to you, even as you have become powerless as we are, you have become like us. So the rulers of nations who entered into alliances with the king of Assyria, king of Babylon, and were double-crossed by him are now mocking the king of Assyria, king of Babylon, as he has also been put down by the Lord's end-time servant. Verse 13, you said in your heart, I will rise in the heavens and set up my throne above the stars of God. I will seat myself in the mount of the assembly of the gods in the utmost heights or Zephon. So, you know, here Isaiah is not just using historical precedent but he's using uh you know the myth of the day to compare uh the king of assyria king of babylon um you know to to lucifer and to others such as those who built the tower of babel and you know sought to get to god and uh steal his power and with usurped power to reign over men 
I will ascend above the altitude of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. But you have been brought down to Sheol, to the utmost depths of the pit. Those who catch sight of you stare at you wondering, is this the man who made the earth shake and the kingdoms quake, who turned the world into a wilderness, demolishing its cities, permitting not his captives to return home? All rulers of nations lie in state, each among his own kindred. But you are cast away unburied like a repugnant fetus, exposed like the slain disfigured by the sword, whose mingled remains are thrown in a gravel pit. So exactly what the king of Assyria, king of Babylon, did to others is done to him. At that day when he is finally put down, directly before Christ comes in his glory. Verse 20. You shall not share burial with them, for you have destroyed your land and murdered your people. May the brood of miscreants never more be mentioned. Prepare for the massacre of their sons in consequence of their father's deeds, lest they rise up again and take possession of the world and fill the face of the earth with cities. Or in other words, those who entered into alliance with the king of Assyria, king of Babylon, will also all be put down. And if they were not destroyed by the king of Assyria, king of Babylon himself, they will be destroyed by the Lord's end time servant lest they should take root again and gain power and again corrupt the earth. Verse 22, I will rise up against them, says Jehovah of hosts. I will cut off Babylon's name and remnant, its offspring and descendants, says Jehovah. I will turn it into swamplands, a haunt for ravens. I will sweep it with the broom of destruction, says Jehovah of hosts. Again, the broom of destruction is the king of Assyria, king of Babylon, that he will be turned against, you know, those who have entered into alliance with him and who participate in the destruction of the whole earth. Verse 24, Jehovah of hosts made an oath saying, as I foresaw it, so shall it happen. As I planned it, so shall it be. Or in other words, everything that is happening today and which will happen and which has happened um, is playing out exactly according to the plan of God. I will break Assyria in my own land, trample them underfoot on my mountains. Their yoke shall be taken from them. You know, so again, uh, my mountains is, you know, the Lord's covenant land. Uh, their yoke being the king of Assyria, king of Babylon. Their burden removed from their shoulders. These are things determined upon the whole earth. This is the hand upraised over all nations. For what Jehovah of hosts has determined, who shall revoke? Again, you know, this hand is the hand of destruction by the king of Assyria, king of Babylon, who is allowed to do his work of destruction by Jehovah, even though his head is Lucifer. When his hand is upraised, who can turn it away? Because the work of destruction is allowed to take place. Because the Lord uses the wicked to destroy the wicked. And all that is required to escape the work of destruction is to enter into true covenant. Not only with our lips, but also with our hearts. With our Lord, our God, and our King. In the year of King Ahaz died, came this oracle. Rejoice not, all you Philistines. 
now that the rod which struck you is broken. From among the descendants of that snake shall spring up a viper, and his offspring shall be a fiery flying serpent. Now, this this verse takes a little unpacking because it doesn't mean what it seems to mean on its surface. Um, You know, the rod which struck, you know, is the king of Assyria, king of Babylon. Um, From among the descendants of that snake shall spring a viper. Well, this viper being talked about is both a person and a people. It's both the king of Assyria, king of Babylon, and no, it's it's the Lord's end-time servant. Pardon me. It is not the king of Assyria, king of Babylon. It is the Lord's end-time servant and those people whom he gathers out on the end-time exodus. It's the strength of the Lord's house. And because of um, the work of the Lord's end-time servant, those who enter into true covenant relationship with Jesus Christ will continue on the path of ascension, um, will receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, will be ministered to um, on the end time exodus by the 144,000 and thus helped and aided in their ascension to the church of the firstborn, to the son, daughter, servant level, having their calling election made sure, and then continue to the seraphim level, um, become kings and priests, queens and priestesses, uh, ascend to the level of 144,000, even though most of the work of the 144,000 doesn't commence until after Christ comes in his glory. Um, Yet there will be many who will ascend to this level um, because of what they experienced during the end time exodus because of the persecutions that they will experience during their missionary efforts. So it is a misnomer that just because the Lord's end time servant, Joseph Smith has power to, you know, smite those who turn against the Lord's people, that he will spare all of the elect from hardship. Um, They will endure hardship as they go on their missionary efforts, just as Ammon and the sons of Mosiah and Alma and Amulek did, but uh, they will not have power uh, or the king of Assyria, king of Babylon, and the Medes will not have power to destroy them. Uh, simply to give them the opposition that they need to ascend to the level of the church of the firstborn and thereafter to the church of Enoch, which is the level of fiery flying serpents. Verse 30. The elect poor shall have pasture. Well, the elect poor are, you know, Zion, Jerusalem. Those who are not yet at the seraphim level or the church of the firstborn level, but they're Zion, Jerusalem level. They have entered into covenant with their God and, you know, have received the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. And the needy recline in safety. But your descendants... We're talking about king of Assyria, king of Babylon, and those who align with them and those who will not enter into covenant with God. But your descendants I will kill with famine, and your survivors shall be slain. Wail at the gates, howl in the city, utterly melt away, you Philistines. 
From the north shall come pillars of smoke, and no place he has designated shall evade it. What shall then be told of the envoys of the nation? Jehovah has founded Zion. Let his long-suffering people find refuge there. So again, ultimately, everybody gets exactly what they desire most. And those who truly desire to follow Jesus Christ, uh, everybody who desires in their heart of hearts to follow Jesus Christ will be given exactly the opposition that they need to become his sons and his daughters and continue on the path of ascension. And those who only draw near to him with their lips and their hearts are far from them will not embark on the path of ascension, but will go down to destruction and annihilation. Um, But the Lord God Jehovah will save his people. He will gather them out and he will bring them to a place of peace and safety. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.